This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. More and more farmers are considering the switch to soft red wheat versus the much more common hard red wheat. Many farmers in southeast Kansas have already switched years ago as the influence of soft red wheat spreads from the fields of Missouri. Last year, there was so much soft wheat planted in this area that even a little harder to find seed. For practical purposes, there is no reason to think that this gradual switch to soft red varieties won't continue. There are just more advantages, usually a better market price, higher yields, and resistance to our wet winters. First, let's talk about yields, as the numbers are pretty straightforward and we have a lot of good data. One of the best places for yield comparison between soft and hard red wheat is right here at the Extension Research Center in Parsons. Dozens of soft and hard wheat from a number of companies are grown in side-by-side comparison and evaluated on yield, physiology like heading date and final weight, and some of the fungal diseases. This spring, the average hard wheat yield was 55 bushels across all varieties, while soft wheat was 90 bushels across the varieties. Last spring, the spread was 81 bushels to 102 bushels. In fact, getting above 100 bushels in soft wheat is not uncommon. Part of this response is that soft wheat can capitalize on ideal growing conditions, like hard wheat can, but it is also better resistant to conditions that aren't so ideal. Around here, those not so ideal conditions usually mean too much rain at the wrong times. It also partly comes down to the simple fact that since soft wheat has less protein in the grain, it can create more yield. Next, the market price is usually better, at least in the past couple of years. This can be seen at the market futures and past indexes, but as of this report, soft wheat was 15 cents higher per bushel. At one point last year, that spread was over a dollar per bushel. Part of the reason is that soft and hard wheat have different markets. Hard wheat makes bread, soft wheat make cookies and pastries. In very general estimation, looking at past USDA numbers, the US produces two to three times more hard wheat than soft. It also exports half of the hard wheat, but only a third of the soft. Soft wheat has different external influences. A question I often get about soft wheat is its disease packages and how well it's resist to our most problematic fungal diseases, stripe rust and fusarium blight. This is a harder question to answer because while wheat varieties are commonly looked at for disease resistance, they are done so by variety and not by general wheat type differences. That is, if soft and hard wheat are even evaluated in the same area. Once again, the Parsons Research Center is a good place to compare them because it's one of the few places where the hard wheat growing in the Western Plains meets the soft wheat growing in the Mississippi Valley. Most soft wheat varieties have very good disease ratings and often offer better genetic protections than many hard wheats. Perhaps being grown in the more humid eastern states versus the drier western plains, the breeding of fungal resistance has a steeper importance. Or It's just a natural part of soft wheat physiology. If you would like more information on wheat varieties, yields, or disease ratings, before you make this fall's wheat seed purchase, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat Extension District. On a hot day, there's nothing like a cool dip in the pond to leave a person refreshed. Not only do people enjoy a swim, but cattle do too. On a recent Cattle Chat podcast, 
the veterinarians at K-State University Beef Cattle Institute discuss the benefits and drawbacks of granting cattle access to ponds in the summer. When there are limited water sources in a pasture, a pond is a common and easy way to meet that need. However, these water sources need to be monitored. It's not a walk-away situation. Livestock watering ponds need to be checked for cleanliness, sediment, and vegetation. During hot and humid weather, cattle will cool off by wading out into ponds. Not only does this lower body temperatures, biting flies are also hindered. Most of you know the added benefits of fly control, like decreased disease transmission. Let's look into the health issues that could pose problems for cattle, or any livestock for that matter, hanging out in the pond. First to come to mind is foot rot. As the cloven hoof is softened and walks through the mud of the pond, there could be an alarming number of bacteria ready to enter the hoof and wreak havoc. Foot rot is easily treated with antibiotics, but it does need to be taken note of. Water quality issues could arise from the animals being in the pond. If the structure is not well suited to be a cooling pond, the drinking water can be affected. The dirt is continually churned and excrement is being directly deposited. Clean drinking water is the first and most important nutrient requirement for all classes of livestock. The added excrement also adds nutrients that can lead to vegetation problems. Extra vegetation can cause various issues like decreased pond surface area and, depending on the type of vegetation, like cattails or duckweeds, could pose quite a challenge to control when managing livestock drinking at the same time. When dealing with pond weeds, it's especially important to have a correct identification to start a control program. A pond fence should protect the dam, the initial portion of the spillway, a portion of the incoming waterway, and most of the shoreline. The fence can be constructed of many different materials. A pond fence should be placed far enough out to allow enough room for a vehicle to drive around the inside. This allows room for maintenance, fishing, and a pollutant filter space of plants. Water level fluctuates in most ponds, so a floating fence can be the most practical way to contain livestock at a watering point. The floating portion of the fence should be constructed of non-rustable material like PVC or polyethylene pipe and should be completely sealed. A width of 40 feet is needed for herds up to 200 cattle. Ideally, the pond bottom at the access point should have a slope of about 30% from dry ground down to at least 5 foot of water. A floating fence should extend over a pond far enough to always contain water, even during a drought. A layer of 6 to 12 inch rock should be laid at the bottom and covered with gravel to provide a firm base. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is a David Scrantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. Fall is quickly approaching, and with fall comes breeding season for sheep and goats. August is a good time to start making plans for breeding season, if you haven't done so already, and to evaluate your does and ewes to make sure they are in good condition before breeding. Does and ewes that have good body condition are more likely to be bred and successfully have lambs or kids in the spring. 
The body condition score of does and ewes should be evaluated before breeding season. Body condition refers to the fleshiness of an animal. To know the body condition score of a doe or ewe, producers should feel over the ribs and on either side of the spine by pressing down with their fingers to determine the amount of fat cover a goat or sheep has. After feeling the amount of fat cover, a body condition score can be given. For sheep and goats, body condition scores are given on a scale of 1 to 5, 1 being emaciated and 5 being obese. Does and ewes should have a body condition score of 2.5 to 3.5 at the beginning of breeding season. If does and ewes become too thin, failure to reproduce, low twinning rates, and low weaning weights can be a result. If they are too fat, it can result in does and ewes developing pregnancy toxemia or having trouble giving birth. If does and ewes have a body condition score lower than 2.5, they need to be placed on good quality pasture and or supplemented with grain. Grain that has a crude protein level of 10 to 12% should be supplemented at a rate of half a pound to one pound of grain per head per day for at least two to four weeks before the start of breeding season. Increasing the amount of grain fed before breeding season is also referred to as flushing and can increase the lambing and kidding percentage and the number of females cycling earlier in the breeding season. Bucks and rams should also be examined prior to breeding season. Their body conditions should be determined the same way it is for does and ewes. Prior to breeding, bucks and rams should have a body condition score of 3 to 3.5. If bucks and rams are too thin during breeding season, they will have decreased stamina, which can lead to a longer lambing and kidding period. However, if rams and bucks are over-conditioned, they may lack vigor to breed large numbers of does and ewes. If rams and bucks are too thin, they should be given supplemental feed starting roughly a month before breeding season to increase their body condition and ensure they are in good physical shape. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave and Strauss with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Homeowners with cool season grasses as their lawn may find that their grass is turning yellow in the heat of the summer and might be concerned that their grass is dying. This is not the death of your grass, but is instead a dormancy in order to survive the excessive heat of the summer. The grass bides its time for a more advantageous growing season like the fall or spring. Tall fescue is one such cool season grass that may undergo dormancy. In periods of excessive heat or excessive drought, the grass will turn yellow and then, once temperatures are more favorable, turn green again. You may also see this dormancy if you have a different fescue species or Kentucky bluegrass as your turf grass. Warm season grasses like Bermuda grass have their primary growing season during the summer and then will go dormant once cooler temperatures roll in. Therefore, people with Bermuda grass lawns will see their grasses go dormant in the fall. Following lawn alone is not something to be concerned about unless it is turning yellow at the wrong time. Some yards, which use a mix of turf grass, 
may have some grass blades go yellow while others stay green. It is important to know what species of grass you have in your yard in order to determine whether you have a problem or the grass is just going dormant. As a homeowner, you have several management options to ensure that your grass stays actively growing for longer during its non-preferred growing season. The best way to ensure that your grass stays actively growing is to place it in the right part of your lawn. Cool season grasses like the fescues and Kentucky bluegrass will do much better in the shade, while Bermuda grass will do much better in sunny positions. Fescues can also survive in sunny positions, but will not do as well as in shady positions. This gives the grasses a better chance of avoiding going dormant at the wrong time. Another characteristic of turf grass that homeowners have control over is the variety of seed that is put out into the lawn. There are certain varieties that have been tested for increased drought and heat tolerance, and these seeds are less likely to go dormant during our hot and humid summers. The last major characteristic of turf grass management that homeowners have control over is the height of the cut when mowing yards. Lower cuts will take more of the blade out of your yard and put more stress on the turf grass. In order to prevent water loss and increase energy reserves, frequent low mowings are more likely to encourage dormancy in cool season grasses during the summer. To combat this, mow less frequently and raise the height of your mower deck in order to remove less of the grass blade with every mowing. For more information on today's topic, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or at jr637 at ksu.edu. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.